If you take your Bibles, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read our Bible reading this morning, Matthew chapter 21. We're going to start reading in verse 28. It was amazing even at camp how the theme of being set apart was just leading us right along where, where Stephen has been preaching through in, in Matthew. And so excited to hear his sermon this morning, Matthew chapter 28, or 21, verse 28. We're going to go through chapter 22, verse 14. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to, first, to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, The first. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servant to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. And again, he sent other servants more than the first. And they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, he said to other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatted calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast." They paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. And while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite the wedding fe- to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Matthew chapter 21. 
I'm excited about our Vacation Bible School. I know Steve's already made the announcement about it, but let me ask you if you would uh, write yourself a note, maybe even right now, just to uh, pray about our Vacation Bible School daily this week. Pray for the children who are going to come. Pray for the teachers who are going to teach and pray, if you will, uh, for those who will direct. They'll have groups that they'll take around. So pray for all of our leaders as they come. And if you are interested in helping with that, I know that we could still use some more help uh, nightly. So if you would see Ryan Griffin, he will be here in Sunday school at 11 o'clock or see Steve right at the end of this service. He'll connect you with where we could help you. But let's pray that God uh, would use that time. There's so many folks. I mentioned to you last week in our evangelism efforts of how many people said they came to know the Lord because somebody invited them to church. Uh, it's, a, it's an incredible number also to ask, how did you come to know the Lord? When did you come to know the Lord? And how many people respond, I came to know the Lord because somebody took me to vacation Bible school. I heard the gospel there. And it's the first time I responded to the gospel. So pray about that. And would you uh, let your kids, help your kids, invite people. Uh, if you don't have children, invite children in your neighborhood, in your family, in Bun, as a community. And uh, let's pray that God will do a work in our children this week uh, through our efforts. So certainly want to pray for that. Matthew chapter 21, we're in the midst of a study there. We clearly have three parables. Last week, there were three symbolic actions of Jesus. He uh, was showing us as he came into Jerusalem that he was the king. He had come into this place that we have not seen him in the Gospel of Matthew. He's been up in Galilee doing ministry. We've seen healing. We've seen his teaching all through this Gospel. Now for the first time he's come into Jerusalem and last week we saw him come in in an unmistakable way saying, I am the king that was promised in the Old Testament. The Pharisees and the religious leaders that rule in the temple there, they took note of that and they knew exactly what he was saying. The people of Jerusalem knew exactly what he was saying in the way that he was doing these symbolic actions. I mentioned to you there that while his symbolism was very clear and it was very bold, as is indicated by the stir that he caused, this week we ended with the fact that he was going to begin to teach in the temple and with the religious leaders and his teaching would be just as clear and just as bold. So just to set the scene for you, we ended last time with the chief priest and the elders questioning Jesus about the authority by which he was doing the actions that he was doing. We have seen him. They say to him, what authority, on what authority are you doing these things? And what were these things? Entering the city as a king, cleansing the temple, and then healing the blind and the lame. And so Jesus pushes back on them, last time we were together, with a conversation about John's ministry. And you and I knew, and we noted then, that John's ministry was pointing forward to Jesus. If you'll remember, John the Baptist came proclaiming, there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to strap. He is going to be the king. And when Jesus shows up on the scene in John's ministry, he says to the people that are around him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus says, By what authority did John baptize? And they knew they were trapped, and so they didn't answer. They remained silent. And so Jesus says to them, Then I too will remain silent to tell you. I'll not tell you by whose authority I'm doing what I'm doing. But I'm going to teach you some things. And that's where we pick up this morning. Verse 28. Jesus says to them the first thing, what do you think? What he's saying to them is, consider this. Consider this. 
And so while we think that Jesus had come against the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and religious leaders and silenced them, the crisis at the moment in the temple may be averted. He could walk on and, and go on. They were not going to do anything to him right there, but Jesus doesn't let the, uh, the issue die. He says, I'm going to push you now. I'm going to teach you some things. And so he says, think about this. What do you think in this parable? And so if I could put a title to the message today, it would simply be this. Generically, three parables about the kingdom of God. Uh, Specifically for us, if I could say this, Jesus is in the temple with the people in Jerusalem for the first time, and he's about to give them a crash course on the kingdom of God. So we're going to see some things that we've already seen in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus teaching up in Galilee. Now he's in Jerusalem. He's talking to the Sanhedrin. These are the folks that are going to kill him. All right. So he is giving them now a crash course on the kingdom of God by showing them, teaching them in three parables. Three parables uh, about the kingdom of God. And so I want to go ahead and just jump into what they are. As Jesus takes the opportunity to teach, uh, He confronts the religious leaders, and I think there is essentially one major message from all three of these parables, but they build on one another. And so I want to walk you through them and show us this morning what Jesus is pointing to by these three stories, and then hopefully what you and I can learn from them. So, Parable number one, found in Matthew chapter 21, verse 28 and following. It's actually down through verse 32. There is a caution here for those who see and do not believe. A caution for those who see and do not believe. Let me just remind you of the story. You just heard it read. Jesus says, consider this. There were two sons, and both of the sons were given the same instruction. The father goes to the first son in verse 28, and he says to that son, go and work in my vineyard today. The son says, I will not. But later, the son begins to think, this is what my father said. And so he changes his mind, and he actually goes into the vineyard and works for his father. His father goes to the second son. He says, go and work in my vineyard. This son says, I will, but he never goes. Now, note here, the things in parables that stand out to us are the things that we ought to look at. Those things that seem incredible to us in these parables, and we will certainly see that in the second third parable even more, things that just we would think, man, that's really, really surprising. But here, a man has two sons. The first one, Jesus says, says no, but then changes his mind. The second one says yes and never goes. And notice the parable never says he changes his mind. I think our assumption must be then he never intended to go. He just told his father, I'm going. And he never showed up. Now, all of us are probably in some sense uh, able to identify with these guys. You've ever told somebody, yes, I'll do that. He just hadn't done it. Hopefully you haven't intended not to do it, but maybe you have been there. I know that I've been somewhere where I said, no, I don't think I want to do that. And then I've changed my mind. I've begun to think about it. Here, the son is going to change his mind and in obedience go where his father told him to go. So now look at the question with me. Here's the question that Jesus is going to ask them. Go down to verse 31. Which of the two did the will of his father? They answered rightly. The first one did. They know which one actually did the will of the Father. Now, this is the point of the parable. How do we do the will of the Father? Because we're going to see in just a moment, the one who does the will of the Father is going to enter into the kingdom. And so they know the right answer, and you know the right answer. The first one did it. And so Jesus takes a teaching moment here. At the end of His parable, they get it right, and Jesus is going to say, just like that, here's what you need to know about the kingdom of God. 
the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to go into the kingdom before you. Now, where did he get that? Let's look at it together. Look at the text with me, if you will. This is verse 31. Jesus said to them, after they answered correctly, Truly, I say to you, in other words, this is important. The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. Why? For John came to you in the way of righteousness. John came preaching righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. So, Jesus is saying, just like those two sons, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are the first son. They say no to God. They are going to do things their way. But then they heard the gospel and they changed their minds. They repented and believed. That's what he says at the end of verse 32 there. They believed. But you heard and did not believe. Now it gets worse. Look at what he says. The end, the last statement in verse 32. And even when you saw it, when you saw what? What was John preaching? He was preaching. John is known as the one who is a forerunner of Christ. So the the prophet, the last prophet before the Messiah. The Bible had predicted him to come, and it is John. He's the new Elijah. The last prophet before the Messiah says, the one who comes after me, I'm not worthy to strap his sandals. He is the king. And Jesus says, even when you saw it, even when you saw the Messiah coming, what does he say? You did not afterward change your mind. You refused to change your mind. You refused to repent and believe. And so the prostitutes and tax collectors who believe, they're going to go into the kingdom. So the very people that believe the kingdom of God is for them are not going to be in the kingdom. And the people whom we would look at and the world would look at and say they're not going to the kingdom, they changed their mind. They repented and believed and they enter into the kingdom. Jesus is indicting the religious leaders. But note this, He's indicting us in our religion. Religion can be a very dangerous thing if by any means you think by your own goodness, your own uh, righteousness, you get there. And He says you saw it. So there's a caution here. Have you seen what Jesus can do? Have you seen who Jesus is? He is the Messiah who has come, the King who will be King forever. And the Messiah has acted on your behalf to bring salvation. And the Bible here is teaching us, it's challenging us that we would come to Christ and repent and change our minds. Stop going the way we're going and go a different way and follow after Jesus. And so there's a clear caution here, church. There's a clear indictment on those who would hear and see Jesus. And notice Jesus said, consider this. Consider if you are the one who might have said, no, I'm there. I'm in the kingdom. The Pharisees said, we're the people of God. There was no doubting it in their mind. And Jesus said, you need to consider this. Could you have been religious? Let me ask it present tense to us. Can you just be religious and not get into the kingdom of God? And the answer is absolutely. What makes the difference? Repentance and belief. So there's a caution. There's a caution here for you that always seeing doesn't mean believing. Seeing, we say, right? I mean, you know the statement. Seeing is believing. 
You've seen what God has done in other lives in this church. You've seen what God has done in history. You've seen that He sent His own Son to die for you. And yet seeing is not always believing. You could know the answers. You, my friends, could know all of the answers that a preacher could ask. You could even be one that could be qualified or maybe even teach a Sunday school class and not have ever repented and actually believed in Christ. This morning, there's a caution by Jesus, not only to the religious leaders, but to us. Have you changed your mind? So we move to the second one, which takes a focus on belief and moves it forward to a change of action. A change of action. Producing fruit is required for kingdom citizens. Now note this, once you repent and believe, things will change in your life. So if you ask at the end of that, man, I think I have, Pastor, how do I know? The second parable is for you. Do you produce fruit that you offer to the Lord? So second point, the first one is there's a caution for us that seeing is not always believing. Second, there are consequences for those who refuse to produce fruit. There are consequences for those who produce fruit. Notice Jesus says in verse 33, hear another parable. And we'll tell the story very quickly. A master planted a vineyard. I want you to note in the text, I think it's very significant for us. He plants a vineyard. He puts a fence up around it for protection. He digs a wine press and he builds a watchtower. In other words, church, this owner has provided everything for the flourishing and the protection of the vineyard and its tenants. Let me say that again. The owner has invested enough to produce everything, to provide everything for the tenants, for their flourishing and their protection. There's a fence around it. There's a watchtower. There's a wine press dug. They can produce the wine that a vineyard is supposed to produce, and that is the expectation of the owner. I've given you everything you need to produce something. You have the vineyard. I planted it. You have the fence. Folks can't come in and steal. Animals can't raid your garden. You have a watchtower. You can watch for enemies there. There's a tower and everything you need for your flourishing. And Jesus says that was provided by the owner. And so what does He do? Verse 34, when the season for fruit drew near, He sent His servants to the tenants to get His fruit. So what do they do? Well, they give Him the fruit. They've produced. The vineyard has done everything and they produce. That's not what the Bible says. That's the point of this parable. We want to note what is, what is surprising here. What is surprising is that the very tenants that he, the owner, had set up took the servants, and note what it says, they beat some, they killed some, and they stoned others. When he sent his servants to collect, there is an ironic twist in this story. The irony is that the very fence and tower that the owner had provided them for protection and flourishing, they now use against the owner to protect their own, their own interest in their own fruit. Instead of giving fruit, instead of giving of what they have produced, they hoard and they take and they kill. They act out against the owner. The irony here comes to us And it's simply this. Here's the application of this for us. Note, this parable, first and foremost, is showing us the tenants are those religious leaders in Israel. We're going to see how this expands to us, especially in the last parable. But the application is for us. And here's an application question I want you to answer. 
What has God given you for your flourishing in His kingdom and for your protection that you now have turned and used for selfish gain against your God? You see, there's a surprising twist in this. What has God given you for your flourishing and your protection against the enemy that now you have turned and you're using for selfish gain and against the Lord? That is who is going to be in trouble in this parable. So, let's move on. Verse 36, he sent more than before. So he sent a number of servants. They beat, they killed, they stoned them. So he sends more servants. Maybe if I send a greater number, then they will be able to collect the fruit. And certainly they did. The Bible says they did the same to them. And in the most surprising twist in this entire story, verse 37 through 39, the owner says, maybe I should send my son. So I will send him. Surely they will respect my son. And here, To the people in Jerusalem, Jesus is foreshadowing His own death. He is telling them, the owner sends His Son, and they look at the Son and say, wow. Now, note the futility of this. If we kill the Son, He is the one that is going to inherit all that is the owner's. If we kill Him, then all of this vineyard just belongs to us. We'll take it. And so, what do they do? They kill the Son. And Jesus... The way that he teaches is so masterful. Same way as the first parable. He looks at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he says, what do you think the owner's going to do to those tenants? And they know exactly what the owner's going to do. Do you understand how surprising it is that tenants would kill your servants instead of producing fruit? Do you understand how even more surprising it is you send your one and only son and they kill your son? What will this master do to them? And they know what he'll do. Look at it with me. It's surprising even what they say. Verse 40, he asked the question. Verse 41, they say to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. They know exactly what the owner is going to do. And yet, the climactic twist to the story is right there. The owner is going to bring judgment. So I want to remind you, there are consequences. There's clear judgment in these parables. There are consequences for those who refuse to produce fruit. The point of the story is, there is no fruit being produced by the tenants that Jesus has let out the vineyard to. Now this is pointing us back, by the way, won't spend much time here, but Isaiah chapter 5, where Israel is called a vineyard. By the way, there's a tower in Isaiah chapter 5. It's the temple. And so here we have God saying through Jesus, I have provided you everything you need to flourish. I've given you the temple where I meet you. I've given you everything you need to produce fruit, and you have not. And Jesus is telling a parable here in Matthew 21 to say, what do you think is going to happen? You killed the prophets of God. You stoned some. You murdered others. You rejected many of them. And then you've killed John, the last of the prophets. Now God has sent his son. And guess what? I'm foreshadowing. Here's what you're going to do to his son. You're going to kill his son. What do you think God's going to do? The point is, the judgment of God is going to fall on you, religious people. And we don't escape that judgment, do we? We are religious people. And Jesus is saying here, if your belief doesn't produce fruit that you hand back to God, then you never believe and you will be judged. There are consequences for refusing to believe. Now my friends, listen. 
there's a move in evangelicalism today that is, is preaching grace, grace, only grace. And grace is marvelous and it's amazing. And we should sing about the marvelous nature of grace and the amazing grace that God would forgive our sins by nothing of our own. But listen carefully to me. God does not just forgive your sin and say live how you want to for the rest of your life. No worry about changing. I'll take care of you. When God gets a hold of your heart, He changes you. If you walk an aisle one day, or maybe you've prayed a prayer one day, but today your life were exposed before those around you, or exposed to your family, or exposed to this church this morning, and it would look like hell in your life, then my friend, there is no evidence that you have ever been changed. Praying a prayer does not set you as a servant of God. God changing your heart and your beliefs and then your life is evidence of God changing your heart. If there is no fruit, there has been no salvation. That's the point. And Jesus is saying here, for those of you who are the tenants that were killing all of the prophets of God who were saying, live like this, be holy as God is holy, change what you're doing, trust in God, change the way you talk to others, change the way you live in your life, and you refuse to change, what you're saying is, we don't serve the King. We serve us. My friends, this morning it calls you and I to examine our lives and our hearts and say, Lord, am I producing fruit that I would then offer to you? That I would offer to you. Now, let's move on because I just want to make at least one more point here. Look at verse 43 because it is the point of this text. Let me back up. Verse 42, Jesus says to them, Have you not read in the Scriptures? He quotes Psalm 118, The stone that the builders rejected. So there's a stone they're building, and they, the builders say, This stone is not worthy. This stone is not worthy to be used in the building. And so Jesus says, Here's what the psalm says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone, my friends, is a, 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 a stone when you're building a stone building. You would want to tie the corners together. And so if you had a wall going down this way and a wall coming behind us, there at the very top of that wall, there would be a stone. And that's what this is talking about, the, the top cornerstone, which ties this wall and the other wall together and will not let either fall. It ties the two walls together. And here's what he says. Jesus was rejected. Somebody looked at this and said, he can't tie all this together. That stone is rejected. The builders rejected. And Jesus, or the psalmist says, that very stone has become the top, the most important cornerstone in the entire building. That's what the psalm says. And then it says, this was the Lord's doing. He's the one that made him that. And it's marvelous in our eyes the way Jesus has brought that together. Therefore, verse 43, here's the point. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people Producing its fruit. Now church, that's the point of Jesus' parable. It's the point of our morning sermon. That you and I should know that belief on its own is nothing. Outside of changing who you are, what you do, how you live, how you speak to others, the actions you take. If we don't produce the fruit, then we are not the people of God. My friends, if you examine your life and say this morning, there really has been no change. I've come to the Lord. I've prayed that prayer. I've been baptized. But there is no holiness in your life. Listen carefully. You better check up to see if you're a part of the people of God or if you're going to miss the kingdom of God. 
We've already seen in this text, in this gospel, we will see it again, friends, that there are many people that will call on the name of the Lord and say, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? And He will have to say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. See, this whole thing is going to the last verse that Steve read, verse 14 of chapter 22. For many are called, few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. Here, those who are chosen are those who produce fruit. Those who produce fruit. And so Jesus has made this point. Now listen to me. The judgment is going to come. You and me, we will stand before the Father. And He will judge our actions. And now the judgment is, have you seen, experienced the change of God? Now notice the irony here. The futility of trying to kill the Son, and now Jesus is quoting Psalm 118, and He says... The, the one you rejected, the one you killed, he's going to be the chief cornerstone. So even here, there's a hint of resurrection. The, the son that you killed, the one that you rejected, he's going to be the chief cornerstone. And that is even foreshadowed more for us in chapter 22 when we get to the son's wedding feast. I don't think it's any, any surprise or any mistake that the very next parable Jesus tells is about a son's wedding feast given by the king. We're pointing forward to what is to come. But before that, look at the end of this passage, verse 45 and 46. The hostility of the Sanhedrin against Jesus. And so they know what he's saying. They know that he is saying, we're going to take the kingdom. Jesus says, the kingdom is going to come away from you that believe it belongs to you. And God is going to make a new people. Don't miss the significance of this. Jews, Israel, religious leaders, God is taking the kingdom from you. And He's making a new people. And the new people are characterized by producing fruit for the King. For the King. That's what Jesus is saying here. So, let's look at it together. The Sanhedrin attack Him. They will not go after Him because they fear. uh, The people think He's a prophet, so they don't go after Him. And so, each of the first two parables have built on the ideas of the previous one. Repentance and belief are required... For entrance into the kingdom of God, right? You saw and yet you refused to repent. And so you and I learned there's a caution here. We must repent and believe. And then the second parable, refusal to repent and believe, lead to fruitlessness, which will bring judgment of the king. In other words, you cannot change your behavior without changing your beliefs. So if your beliefs don't change, your behavior won't change. I'm reading a book right now by Charles Duhigg. It's called The Power of Habit. Perhaps some of you have read it. New York Times bestseller. Fascinating book to me. I'd recommend it to any of you. But in this book on the power of habits and how we develop habits, both individually and corporately, in business America, uh, Duhigg discovers that there are three parts of a habit. You have a cue, something that sets you down the road. You have a routine, and then you have a reward. So think about the habits in your life. Something cues you to that. For many of you, there are habits in your morning that are cued by your alarm clock going off. Some of you, the habit is to hit the snooze button. Some of you, the habit is to jump up and do whatever you do first every morning. Go turn the coffee pot on, go use the bathroom, whatever. Those are habits. You don't even have to think about those things anymore. So much so that if you hit the snooze button, it's become a habit. You don't even think about it. You just hit the snooze button. You can almost remain asleep hitting the snooze button. Why? Because it's become a habit. You're not really making a decision. So there's a cue, there's a routine, and then there's a reward for your action. And he's talking about how do we change habits. 
And he says in that thing, if you keep the same cue, but want to change the routine, so you want to stop hitting your snooze button, or you want to change some habit in your life, keep the same cue, it's time to get up in the morning, your alarm goes off, change the routine, and receive the same reward. That's what you're seeking. That's the only way that you can change the routine. Well, what they found is, if you don't believe the routine will, develop, will deliver the reward, you'll not stick with that routine. You'll go back into your normal routine. So if you don't believe your new routine will deliver the reward, if you don't believe that, then you'll never stick with the routine. So belief became a fourth thing. Here, Jesus is teaching that for you here. If you're just trying to change your fruit... If you're just trying to change what you do in life, but you don't believe in Christ to have the power to change in your life, you'll never change. Lasting change only comes as God changes our hearts. And then our routines, then our behavior changes. Here, Jesus is going to add to that. Not only do you have to believe, not only does your fruit have to be right in your life, here in the third parable, we're going to see both of those, but Jesus emphasizes the necessity in your life of fruit even of the new people. Now notice at the end of the second parable, church, there is a new people of God. This, the last parable is going to focus on that. So let's go to it. Verse 20, chapter 22, verse 1. There's a king, and he is going to give a wedding feast. And Jesus says there in verse 2, the wedding feast is going to teach us about the kingdom of heaven. And so, what happens? He's giving a wedding feast for his son. He's invited people. They've said, we'll go. And he sends his servants and says, we're ready for the feast. It's time. The feast is here. Come on. And what happens? They don't come. Can you imagine? You've been invited to the wedding of a king's son. And the time for the feast is here. And you have decided not to come. And so the third point of this third parable that I want you to see this morning is celebration. There's a celebration for those, listen, who wear the right clothes. There's a celebration for those who wear the right clothes. Jesus says, it was time for the, for the wedding feast. They invited those who were already guests. You had RSVP'd. You said, I'm in. I'm coming. He invites you. He says, hey, it's time. Come on. And you say, you know what? I can't come. The Bible actually says they ignore the servants. And so he sends more servants. He sends other servants. He he goes again to invite them. And this time, notice what the Bible says. Some of them, it says, went back to their own farm. In the Greek, it is really emphasizing your own farm. So your own business. In other words, I've got more priorities than the king's wedding. I've got things going on in my life that I want to do. Your own business, your own farm. And then others, it says, seizes the servants and kills them. So you're not only interested in your own stuff, but you become, I think this is a progression, you become hostile toward the things and the people of God. The servants of God who are calling you, you become hostile to them. This is what what Jesus is saying. The wedding feast is here, but they paid, verse verse 5, they paid no attention. So what happened, verse 7? Here, the surprising turn. Just because you wouldn't come, the king gets angry. Well, we would assume the king is upset, right? But here the king not only gets angry. Look at verse 7. He sends his army and destroys those murderers and burns their city. Now notice this. 
Don't miss this, church. We are talking here. Jesus is ma- he's talking in Jerusalem, and He's making a clear point about Israel. He is in the city. It would only be likely in this story that the king is inviting his own city. And the king now is going to destroy. Notice the Bible doesn't say his own city. He has now withdrawn himself from the city. He says, their city. This has all kinds of Old Testament implications that you and I know allusions to what is happening in the Old Testament. God has removed His glory from Jerusalem back in Ezekiel. We've seen that. Jesus has come back into Jerusalem. He has actually entered Jerusalem from the east. He is coming to the temple from the east. That's where He's preaching. So for the first time, the presence of God is back in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, what's going to happen to the city when they don't listen to the king who says, come to the wedding feast? The wedding feast is already pointing us forward to Revelation. All kinds of illusions there. And Jesus says, what's He going to do? He's going to judge the city. Why? Because they did not come to the wedding feast. Those are the points we've seen in the first two parables. Now what happens? This new people of God is invited. So He says to His servants, go out into the roads that come in and out of this city and invite everybody and anybody. This is the call of the gospel. Invite everybody and anybody into the kingdom, and they do so. And the Bible says they come. They draw all of those that they can get. And the Bible says there, you heard it read, both good and bad. They come. And now the judge, the king, comes into the wedding feast. And here's the surprising turn. They've gone and gotten people, just common people, not those who were invited. They didn't come. So they've gone and gotten the replacements. Can we call ourselves the replacements this morning? Alright, so we weren't part of Jews. We were the replacements. And he went, this is foreshadowing what happens in the New Testament. He says, go and get the replacements and bring them here. And they all come. And he says clearly, both good and bad are the ones that are gathered here, are called now to come. And he says, the king is looking and he judges between one of them. And he says, hey, friend, where are your wedding garments? Where are your wedding garments? Now, in first century Jewish life, The wedding garments would simply be, if you were invited to a wedding, they would go home and they would dress in white to go to a wedding. All the guests, everybody. So the king is saying, why don't you go home and clean up and put your wedding garments on, which you would have had. He's not expecting something they wouldn't have had. You would have had these clothes. Why don't you go home and put them on before you come to the wedding? Now, what is absolutely surprising about this is Jesus first calls him friend, He calls out that he doesn't have the right garments on and then he casts him out into utter darkness. You heard in reading the text the overtones there of outer darkness in the place where there's gnashing of teeth. You heard the overtones of he's casting him out to hell. You are excluded from the wedding feast. You are no longer in part of the new people of God. You came in with the replacements, but you're not a replacement. Why? Because you didn't have the right clothes. Now my friends this morning the question comes to you and I and it begs to be asked, what are the right clothes and how can I wear them? I want to be a part of the replacements. I want to be a part of the people of God. I want to be in the kingdom of God. And the answer comes back from these three parables. Clearly, you and I must be those who not only believe, repent, but we produce fruit in our lives. Those are the people that are part of the new people of God. He says, I've taken the kingdom away and given it to a new people. My people here, there is a wedding feast and those who are invited. And It it reminds me of the parable of the wheat and the the weeds back in Matthew chapter 13, where at the end they will be divided. 
And so Jesus says the point of the passage at the end in verse 14. Listen, and I close. Many are called, few are chosen. This morning I want to ask you, do you have the right clothes on? And I want to say it in the way that Jesus says it right there. Many are called, few are chosen. In other words, many are invited. As a matter of fact, what you and I know is all are invited. Jesus says, whosoever will, come. That's the invitation of the gospel. But few are chosen. Who are the chosen? They're the ones that have the wedding clothes on. What are the wedding clothes? You see, the wedding clothes are simply this. Those who are producing the fruits of repentance in their life. That's the point of these three parables. And so when I ask you this morning as I, as I end, it would simply be this. Do you have the right clothes on? Do you want to know if you're in the kingdom of God this morning? Do you want to know that you are headed to the wedding feast? What clothes are you wearing? If you look at your life and you say, you know what? There's nothing really changed. I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle. But my thoughts have not changed. The way that I talk to my friends, my parents, my children, my spouse, that hasn't really changed. The way that I talk in public, the things that I talk about hasn't really changed. The places that I desire to go and the things that I do haven't really changed. Well, I might have cleaned them up for a little while, but I, I keep going back there. If there is no change, if there is no fruit that you can produce to give to your Savior, the reality is this morning, you don't have on the right clothes. You see, the clothes were very visible to the king. And your change will be very visible. 